So we look at genetics around whether you're more of a strength or endurance balanced athlete, um, whether you're going to respond better to high or low intensity activity, and then probably most importantly, what your recovery time is. Um, kind of the, what we've referenced already, you know, too many of us have this mentality that more is better. So, man, if I, you know, if I got to work out six days a week and some weeks, seven days a week, um, that's, re- that's not true. I mean, as you know, what we know in exercise science now is that the gains really come in the recovery, right? Hmm. We, we do the work. Can you, can you repeat that? The gains come <laughs> in the recovery. Yeah, exactly. Wait, can you say that one more time? The, yeah. <laughs> recovery is key. I yeah. don't know how much we can stress that, but I would say the majority of the time when I am advising someone around those genes, that's usually the message. You know, hey, you need to back off a little bit, treat yourself well, use things like sauna and cold plunge and um, breath work techniques, get good sleep. You know, dear God, it's crazy how much we neglect sleep in this country. Um, But those are those are the key components of that. What is up, podcast community? My name is Michael Chernow, and this is the Creatures of Habit podcast. Habits are everything, and on this show, I will be interviewing some of the most inspiring, motivated, and high-performing humans on the planet to learn about the daily habits, routines, and rituals that help keep them focused, determined, on top of their game, and ultimately, happy. My journey from the depths of addiction and misery to success as a family man and serial entrepreneur was only made possible by replacing bad habits with great ones. And my mission in life today is to share that story and the story of others with you to bring value and life-changing tools to as many people as possible. So sit back, relax, and pay attention because what you hear in this podcast today can potentially change your life. Let's go. What up, podcast family? Creatures have a podcast. Episode 17,944. No. <laughs> uh, guys, gals, everyone, I'm very excited you're here. I'm very excited to share a podcast with you today that I think you're going to love. I've got Dr. Jeffrey Graham on the podcast today from Wild Health. He is the lead physician at Wild Health, which is a brand that I, company that I love, that I've done a deep dive on my DNA with. Yes, you heard that right. I did a deep dive on my DNA with Wild Health, and they produced a report for me based on my DNA that told me who I really am (laughs) and what I really should be doing and what I really shouldn't be doing when it comes to my health. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey is a precision medicine physician. Um, he's done a lot of stuff in his life. He's spent a lot of time in sports medicine. He's traveled the world and studied in a couple of other places overseas. Um, he is a hardcore CrossFit athlete. As you can see, when the camera shines on him, he is strong, <laughs> Um, we just had a conversation about how he's diving deep into his Olympic lifting uh, with a coach. And the, the thing that I love about that is that you get, you look at someone like Jeffrey and you say, all right, Jeff, you're strong. You, it's obvious. Like you walk down the street, you know, somebody sees him, they're like, boom, strong guy. Um, and literally one of the first things he said to me was, so I'm working with this coach. And that to me is like, everyone should have a coach. <laughs> Everyone should have a coach. That could be a coach. That should be a coach for your physical health, your mental health, and what Jeff is here to talk about today, your biological health. Really, I believe in having coaches 
in as many arenas as I can. It doesn't have to have them all the time, but I always love to have a coach. And so the first thing Jeff said to me today was that he's working with a coach. And I was like, man, I love, I love when people that you would look at and say, oh, that dude is probably, you know, coaching everyone. And he is. He's, 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 a, he's a doctor at, at a incredible, you know, company that focuses on helping people be better, uh, stepping away from traditional, you know, Western family doctor medicine and, and starting to look a little bit deeper under the hood. So anyway, I said enough about this wonderful human being standing, sitting next to me. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate uh, you having me. Absolutely, man. Honored. Big fan. Um, I, uh, I would love to just before we go into it, because I'm a nerd, um, when it comes to Olympic lifting and I just, you know, you had mentioned Olympic lifting out there and I'm sure a number of people that listen to this podcast, either do Olympic lifting, uh, know what it is, want to do it or have done it and never want to do it again. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so what, yeah. what can you just tell us about what, what, what are you, lo- what are you working on right now? So that's, that's an interesting question and one that I actually had to figure out myself over the last year. Um, I've been a CrossFit coach and athlete for, um, I guess, seven years now. But, um, you know, Olympic lifting is primarily it's two things. It's the snatch and the clean and jerk. And it's, it's the two lifts that are, as the name infers, that, you know, that, that we compete in in the Olympics. They are by far the most technical forms of lifting as opposed to powerlifting, which, of course, is your bench press, your squat, and your deadlift, um, both of which are, you know, both of these forms of lifting are, are great for gaining strength. Um, the piece of Olympic lifting that I'm really enamored with is the skill level. It's, I consider the snatch, the, the curveball of all, you know, weightlifting techniques. Um, you have to be incredibly athletic. Um, it is the lift that actually produces more power than any other lift or action, I think, in all of sport, because of that combination of moving mass and speed uh, underneath that mass. So, um, yeah, that's what's really fascinated me with it. And just trying to, so it's not just the strength that you're referencing, the muscle building capacity that's necessary, but it's this technique part that really has gotten me psyched about, about getting into this and dialing it in. Mm. The mobility it takes, and, and that's something I've recognized as I've aged, you know, um, we were just talking about our our 40s, um, that starts to slowly sneak away. Seems like in little increments, and then one day you're like, oh my God, what, my, can't get my shoulder over my head anymore. So that's the other part I love. It really makes you focus on mobility, keeping a, a strong core, but being able to open shoulders and hips appropriately. So, yeah. I started doing CrossFit about a year ago. Fell in love with the sport coming out of years of bodybuilding and other things before that. Yeah. I think what I, what's most humbling about CrossFit for me was the Olympic lifted. Yeah. The Olympic lifting. And, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I've, I haven't done CrossFit traditionally in the last three or so months just because I, I just I came in too hot. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't actually believe that I, I injured myself in CrossFit, but going as hard as I was going, it definitely – polarize some of the injuries that I've had in yeah. the past. Yeah. Brought them 100%. right to the surface. Yeah. It will point them out <laughs> yeah. quickly. It pointed yeah. them out quickly. So I went from lower back sort of sciatic stuff into now a shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I've actually been doing a little bit of like a hybrid, which which I which I love. But but I will say that the Olympic lifts are it's what it's what I what excites me most about the sport. Yeah. Because it is so humbling. It is so hard. So and humbling. It is so technical. 
So technical. Agreed. Yeah. And the thing about CrossFit, I mean, I, it's a great sport for multiple reasons. I think for aging actually appropriately, um, it seems like every time I'm advising a patient around their exercise, um, so often it falls into this kind of paradigm that we know is good for aging, where you want to have the capability to go good with your zone two and three. That should always kind of be the base of that pyramid. Um, and then that middle component of strength in that pyramid, and then the top tier being that VO2 max, going as hard as you can, being able to sustain that for a little bit. And I love that part about CrossFit. Interestingly, as we age, I feel like sometimes if you're going in with that mentality that, that you went in with and that a lot of us built like you and I go in with where, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going 100%, right? That you, you can be prone to injury. Mm-hmm. So you need to have good coaching around it, around technique. And that's the other thing I'm, I'm loving about this ollie lifting. Um, you know, when I'm snatching even lighter weight for speed and reps in a CrossFit workout, I feel so much more comfortable now, so much more robust around, you know, resilient to injury, just because I've got this baseline understanding of technique now that yeah. I feel like it keeps me safe. It's so interesting that, you know, it's, I, I, I guess I can correlate it to – I remember when I first started Muay Thai kickboxing, I mean, there was definitely a lot. There were, there were obviously a lot of moments where you felt like you had a little breakthrough. But I think the yeah. one that I remember most, for whatever reason, is with the jump rope. Yeah. The jump rope is like, and in CrossFit, it kind of came a second wave of it with the double unders. Yeah. You know, getting the rhythm down with a jump rope is not easy, right? Like, it takes people a long time. You see people jump, you know, skipping, even just single unders. I mean, in in, in Muay Thai, it was all single unders with super heavy ropes, right? Yeah. But it's just a timing thing, and it's just a a rep thing, right? Yeah. It's just like, how many reps are you willing to do? Yeah. The more reps you do, the the faster and better you're going to be at, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember in Muay Thai, there was that, like, one day I was like, Oh wait a second! Oh, I got there it. There it goes. I got it. There it Clicks. is. Yeah. And uh, well, and and there there've been moments, not many, <laughs> um, but there've been moments in in CrossFit where the bar just came up. You know, yeah. I I I felt that sort of like 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 weightless, levit, for just weightless, a second. Yeah. weightless bar like yeah. right at my chin. I got underneath it. I didn't have any trouble getting my 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 ass to grass to get yeah. under that bar, and I was like, "Whoa, that was the feeling." It's a beautiful feeling. <laughs> I know. It. You and know when you it's there. For it. you, I know. It's like golf. You know, you hit you hit eighty two bad shots and have one that's beautiful, and you're going brings back. it right back. Yeah, yeah brings it right exactly. back. Exactly. Um, so, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, so we can kind of get a, a little background, and then we're going to dive into some questions I got. Okay. Cool. So um, as you mentioned, I, I um, you know, after med school, I completed an MD and um, got really interested in the public health realm for a little bit. I, I saw so many disparities in the healthcare system that kind of, in retrospect now, I recognize that's led to what I'm doing now. Um, but I came out all fired up about, you know, changing the American healthcare system. So I went and I got a, a public health degree um, uh, from UNC Chapel Hill. And immediately after that, I was doing some practicing, um, just private practice stuff. But my wife and I, who's a physician also, um, we saw this opportunity to kind of jump. We were living in a place we didn't want to live anymore. So that's when we moved overseas. And I looked for a job where I could really practice this public health degree. So I was involved in uh, actually in HIV, tuberculosis, and, and malaria work in Indonesia for a couple years. And during that time, did some travel to Africa, where we eventually ended up setting up a 
a program to reduce maternal mortality. My wife was really the, the energy behind that, but it was great helping out with that. Um, and we've had a relationship with that. It's called Mama Maisha. Um, it's in Tanzania. We've continued to, to stay in touch with that, but aren't as hands-on about that anymore. So after that, um, moved back to the States, uh, landed in Asheville, North Carolina, where I knew a lot of people and had done training. Um, so took on a private practice role there, some with the residency, and then found Wild Health in uh, 2018, 2019. I did a, the CrossFit offers an MD level one training course now, so just for doctors. So through that, I, I made these connections that eventually led uh, down the pathway to precision medicine, which is what we practice at Wild Health now. That's so cool. So CrossFit yeah. offers an L1 training for doctors only. It does. And I think they've changed that in recent years. I think now it's called health professionals, like HPL1. Okay. So it's open to more people. But initially, it started out as, a, as just physicians. Very cool. Yeah. Wild Health. Give us a little little synopsis. Yeah. So Wild Health is super cool. As you mentioned, the thing that really attracted me to it, um, first, the, the sports medicine background, the kind of performance aspect, because we do focus a lot on performance. Um, and, and, you know, not, not just for our elite athletes, but for the weekend warrior and the daily guys like, like you and me. But the genomic component is what, what, we, what really fascinated me. So being able to look at someone's genes, these different little what we call SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms that make us all unique, you know, determine everything from skin and hair color to, to how we metabolize fats. Um, so being able to take that really targeted approach uh, with a patient – and, you know, treat them as an N of one, basically, you know, not apply this, these vast stores of, of, of literature that we have to treat the vast, po the big populations, but be able to focus on that one person, that individual in that moment based on their genes and some of the biomarkers you were referencing um, and advise them around um, everything from nutrition, macro and micronutrients, exercise, sleep. Uh, we look at neurobehavioral genes, like, hey, you we all should be meditating and using breath work more, but, um, you know, specifically saying, hey, you're, you actually are genetically built to, uh, to not handle the allostatic or daily stress load as well as the rest of us. So can really do some poignant kind of interventions there to, to change. You're that. also able to sort of dictate what kind of exercise. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's, that's the part that really gets me, um, you know, I, I, get, I get pretty psyched about that section. So we look at genetics around whether you're more of a strength or endurance balanced athlete, um, whether you're going to respond better to higher low intensity activity, and then probably most importantly, what your recovery time is. Um, kind of the, what we've referenced already, you know, too many of us have this mentality that more is better. So, man, if I, you know, if I got to work out six days a week and some weeks, seven days a week, um, that's, that's not true. I mean, as you know, what we know in exercise science now is that the gains really come in the recovery, right? <laughs> we, we do the work. Can you, can you repeat that? The gains come <laughs> in the recovery. Yeah, exactly. Wait, can you say that one more time? The, yeah. <laughs> recovery is key. I yeah. don't know how much we can stress that, but I would say the majority of the time when I am advising someone around those genes, that's usually the message. You know, hey, you need to back off a little bit, treat yourself well, use things that. like sauna and cold plunge and um, breathwork techniques, get good sleep. You know, dear God, it's crazy how much we neglect sleep in this country. Um, but those are those are the key components of that. Something that I, I was super grateful to learn from you guys. Well, one, I think you said to me something along the lines of you have a very high threshold for pain. <laughs> I think that's what you said. Yeah. Uh, and. You um, you were kind of built for CrossFit style sport, mm -hmm. 
and you need to start eating sardines. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I've joined the sardine the sardine gang. Good. And I, and I got a bunch of people around me on the sardine gang. Good. Um, I thought this office smelled a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's very funny. So you told me that, and I was like buying all the. I was like, I was like going around and trying to find like the the best tasting sardines and like which ones work, you know, which ones I like the best. And I'm and I was, I have a, not anymore, but for a while. My buddy Joe DeSena, who's the founder yeah. of, of Spartan Race, yeah. he and I had a at least three days a week a 5:20 a.m. daily call, or, or you know, three day a week call, where we would just check in, shoot the shit. I would be in the sauna, he'd be like, you know, doing something crazy, and uh, and and we we did that. And so I told him, I was like, hey man. I'm on this sardine kick. I had this meeting with the guys at Wild Health, and they told me that I need to pump my omega threes, and mm-hmm. um, and so I'm on. I'm, I'm I'm getting some some of these omegas from Thorn, but I'm also uh, I'm also eating uh, sardines. And uh, he goes he goes how like like well how many how many sardines are you eating? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm definitely having a can a day. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I've got a very good friend who who owns a sardine company. I was like, no, you don't. He's like, oh, yeah, I do. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yep. My buddy owns a sardine company in, I think, in the Ukraine and or around that area. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I'm going to have him send you some sardines. And sure enough, like like a month later, I got these massive boxes of sardines, like like hundreds of cans of sardines. Yeah, And yeah. I'm still making my way I through. I love it. How I good love is it, that? man. Yeah, that's it. Um, it's a good hookup. So you're obviously a fit guy, and you work with a lot of people that are trying to be better on a daily basis. Right? Mm-hmm. That is the goal. That is like you're, you're so lucky to have put in the work to be able to advise people on yeah. being better human beings inside and out. What does your morning routine look like? It's varied, first of all. I want to start saying that. I feel like sometimes um, at least this guy has can be a little bit hard on himself if I don't, you know, not hitting everything exactly the same every morning. Varied because I'm a, you know, I have two kids. I have a wife that works. And so, you know, life comes up sometimes. But on an ideal morning, um, you know, it's coming downstairs and, and right off. I, I love to have that time in the morning. I'm an early riser. Keep that, that time. It's kind of sacred to me for myself. What time? Five, sometimes four thirty, but usually you know no later than five thirty. Kind of depends on if I'm coaching a CrossFit class that morning or what my day looks like when I know I'm gonna need to exercise. But um, what I never miss these days is that first. I think I've heard you talk about this too. That first glass of water before I do anything. Usually using something like Element Element Tea or something like that to 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 hit that before I do anything. While I'm turning on the coffee maker and walking outside, so I try to get outside see the sky every morning, take a walk if I can, just a short walk around the block just to get things moving. Um, try and avoid that first cup of caffeine until I've had, um, especially if I'm heading to the gym, a few calories. I feel like that's good for my HRV. Having coffee, it's, it's hard for me to get to the gym without at least one cup. So I usually do do that before I go to the gym. My genetics say I can do that, by the way. So I, I, I use it. I use it favorably. Um, but yeah, um, and before I walk out the door on a perfect day, I'm doing at least 10 minutes of meditation. Yeah, okay. yeah meditation and, and activating breath, breath work. So you, you mentioned the making sure you're getting a few calories in before you're having your cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine you're not an intermittent faster. No. Can you tell, I mean, I so many people have been 
intermittent fasting mm-hmm. or what, what are they calling it? Time, time restricted, time feeding. restricted feeding. Yeah. Do you like, what is, what is the actual science behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. I talk about this a lot with folks. So, cause you said it was great for your HRV. And I think that's also important to correlate this fed or non or unfed state. state. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that has a lot to do with it. So, Intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, TRF, um, we do love to use that in the appropriate situation. So if someone is, is right on that threshold of getting into metabolic disease, i.e. insulin you know, resistance, um, we see cholesterol numbers headed in the wrong way. If there's some, some, uh, some body composition changes they want to make, it can be very effective. The way that we misuse it in this country is usually by eating too late in the day. So the majority of the literature, in fact, I, I think all the literature that I've read on this is with doing earlier time windows. So the most robust, the, the, the best literature out there that I've seen has been done on a time-restricted feeding window of 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Or you could, if, if that's just too early, going like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. But the key seems to be cutting the meal off earlier in the day. So we're getting our last calories in and having a good two, three, even four hours of fasted time before you lay down. Mm. And why is that? Is that just a, is that going to help you sleep better, which is ultimately going like the, is that, is that because the body is metabolizing and breaking down food and that is ultimately not going to give you the best chance to get the best sleep? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. We know that the best way to engage that parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest nervous system is when you've given that food enough time to pass through the first part of the small intestine. Mm. We're in a lower inflammatory state. Anytime you have an insulin spike, insulin equals inflammation. So the lower inflammatory state you can go to bed in the better. I've got to just got a few more questions because I think it's really interesting. I've got you here. I'm going to ask away. Yeah. <laughs> Why do some people handle and metabolize carbohydrates better than others? And on the other side of the coin, why do some people handle and metabolize fats better than others? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly one of the things we start out looking at at Wild Health. If you'll remember, we, you know, we, it's, it's very much a genetically determined thing. So we know that there are certain genes that really are effective at the mitochondrial level, the cellular level at breaking down carbohydrates and using them efficiently as fuel. Um, And some people don't do that well, ironically. I feel like in general, um, carbohydrates over the last decade, probably longer, have gotten a bad name. I feel like if we're talking about carbohydrates as simply plant-based foods, thinking about not only fruits and veggies, but nuts and seeds, um, whole and ancient grains, they generally are good for most of us. And specifically, um, you know, when we're stacking them around times of activity, I kind of think of a two-hour window pre and post-workout or activity, very safe for most people to have. Mm. Um, but the genetics let us guide people about the timing of carbohydrates. So if you are someone who doesn't do well with them, then, yeah, going lower later in the day is a great idea, you know, before you're going to lay down to rest. Um, so that's one thing we can really target with the type of medicine we practice is advising around you know, ketogenic versus whole food plant-based versus a nice Mediterranean or paleo mix. Yeah. I love trying new ways to eat. Mm-hmm. I don't call it diet because typically I, I, I have a pretty consistent lifestyle of like I eat healthy. Yeah. You know, that's my lifestyle. Yeah. I eat, I eat healthy. 85% of the time, and I'll do a ketogenic protocol six weeks 
if I feel like doing it just to like maybe flush out the system. Um, or I'll, you know, I'll try something that a friend says was, was fun, you know? Yeah. Um, but I always go back to this pretty consistent, steady, healthy. I know what I'm having for my first meal today. Yeah. It's typically meal one from Creatures of Habit. I know what I'm having for my second meal of the day. It has something, it looks something like lean protein and veggies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's typically mm-hmm. what it is. Um, I know what I'm having for my third meal today, which is typically lean proteins, potentially a little fattier and, and, and a salad is typically like what it is. And the veggies yeah. at lunch are typically in the, in the starchier side of things. Yeah. I know what my snack is. My first snack is typically a meat stick of sorts. Mm-hmm. And my second snack is a ready-to-drink, clean protein shake, typically. Where the sardines come in there? Sardines are like just midday. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice, good. Um, sardines are like midday. And, and I'll typically have like in my – so I pack my lunch every day. I'll probably pound my sardines like right after I eat my salad, yeah. my lunch salad. Okay. That's typically like what my, my day looks like. And I think that it's always good to have a default like that. So it's like it's a no-brainer, not non-thinker. But I've been thinking about trying to do this meat and fruit thing mm-hmm. um, that I've been reading all about and mm-hmm. hearing about where, where a lot of people have said, you know, the fruit, the carbohydrates from fruit – in place of carbohydrates that you would attempt, you know, for me, I would get from either rice or oats or something. Could be a really interesting experiment to try. Have you have you any experience or have you heard anything about this? I've had some patients who have tried this, and um, I I think there's value in it um, based on genetics, based on gut microbiome too. So we pay a lot of attention to that. I haven't personally tried it myself, but. Um, you know, if, if you've got a gut microbiome that definitely needs some work, and I kind of failed to mention that earlier, that can be a big player in, in what, what you're doing with your carbs and your fats as well. Um, but I think that, that definitely the, you know, when you're thinking about a high fruit intake like that, especially if we're focusing on the really prebiotic-rich foods, um, apple pectin is one of the main ones, um, that, you know, that, that are going to support a healthy gut microbiome, it's, I think that could work really well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and obviously that's not. I wouldn't say that that would be like a sustainable lifestyle, right? Just yeah. eating meat and fruit forever. Yeah. But if somebody wanted to try something like that, yeah, I wouldn't ever tell anybody to do the carnivore diet because I think that's that's far that's crazy. Yeah, in my opinion, agreed. I think 100%. it's a little bit. It's just a little much, right? Just yeah. eating fatty cuts of red meat, um, yeah. I think, is a little nuts. I agree. But if you were to if you were to advise somebody to say, hey, you want a little gut reset, you want to you want to try something, maybe you want to shed a few pounds, um, you know, this could be something to give a go. Would you do like a six or eight week kind of protocol with that? Yeah, I think um, you know, uh, I think six weeks is generally long enough to see some physiologic change for sure. We know biomarkers will change in about that time as well, a lot of them. Um, but I think that if you're thinking about, again, getting back to the gut health component, that tends to take a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. if you're doing that specifically for that reason, because you, you, you've got some gut issues um, with regularity or just distension, you don't feel great when you eat certain things, sounds like a diet that would be really good for that. Um, but that's generally going to take longer, the gut like microbiome. Three months. three months at least. Gotcha. We generally think about the gut microbiome in, in kind of quarterly changes, you know, three, six, nine, mm. see where you're going with that. Yeah. Cool. Um, we talked about sleep a bit, and I know how important sleep is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when all the work gets done, really. Right? All the work. Mentally yeah. and physically. Yeah. 
what is your wind down routine or do you have a wind down routine look like? Uh, very much so. I would say that that's actually more regimented than my, than my morning routine tends to be sometimes. But, um, so I, I love, I've recognized this, um, as, as a, a person who's living with someone who's on call a lot, I've done a lot of meal prep over the years and I've come to this point in my life where I've had this profound realization that that actually is a really good time for me. I love putting on some music in the kitchen, some some jazz or something slower, and just starting to do food prep and trying to be really mindful about that. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of what I think of, you know, the, it being the end of my day. Um, you know, trying to eat as a family is something that my wife and I have really stressed recently with our kids who are getting into their, their teens now. We've got a phone-free policy at, at dinner, and I think that's something that's so easy to sneak into times, you know, that, that really adds a lot of uh, meaning and connection to our time with our kids. Um, and then, yeah, I, after that, like my, my, like where the, where the real treasure lies, where the good nuggets are is sauna and cold plunge. So every night that I'm at my house, we built a sauna, but uh, a year and a half ago now, um, it's, it's 15 to 30 minutes, whatever I'm feeling that night of sauna followed by cold plunge at least two minutes after that. So you do sauna cold at night? I do. Yeah. Can you talk to the distinction between sauna and cold at night as opposed to the morning? Yeah, I think there's benefit for cold plunge either time. The cool thing about cold plunge, pardon the pun, is that it's uh, you know it's definitely <laughs> the cool thing about yeah, the cold, cold thing plunge. About cold, plunge. Um, cold plunge or ice barrel, you could take that. Yeah, exactly. Um, is that it, it? The benefit that I feel because I do do it in the morning occasionally. You know, you get this bump in your neurotransmitter, specifically your norepi, your norepinephrine. That's really an energizing, feel good hormone that lasts for up to six hours after you've done just like two minutes of cold plunge. So it can be a great start to your day. Um, I've definitely played around with that in my own life, and and um, you know if I'm on target and feel like I have time, I'll do that. For me, though, um, it's more effective as a sleep modulator because you do this sauna, your body temperature is already 102 degrees or something, and you're able to jump right in the cold plunge and usually stay in there a little bit longer. Um, and you get this burst of activity and, or, or activation that you would expect, but about 30 minutes after that, you experience this profound parasympathetic you know, system takeover. So I find that about 30 minutes after I've gotten out of the cold plunge, my body temperature's dropped, and that's necessary for good sleep. Our body temperature drops, you know, one to two degrees for us to fall asleep. So it's kind of a hyperspeed way to do that. And then I, I just get this profound relaxation that happens about 30 minutes after that. It's this big, you know, jump in activation, and then it's just like, boom, just hit the bottom, ready to go, ready wow. to get in bed. I've got to, I've got to try it. I mean, I have been such a consistent sauna cold plunge guy. First thing in the morning, yeah. I do it. I mean, I don't. Do you use an infrared or do you use a dry, like traditional a dry, dry? Yeah, traditional barrel. dry. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've also, I've got a barrel sauna and and uh, an infrared. I use the infrared in the morning just because. There's just a lot of study about infrared and Lyme disease. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been using the infrared with for my Lyme, and I've seen. I mean, I can't correlate it all to the infrared, but I use it every day. I'm home. I'm in that sauna in the morning, and I have staved off Lyme flare-ups for a long time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. it's from the from the. I mean, I do so much. You do a lot of other. I do a lot other of other things, things sure. but yeah. but I think the culmination of them all. However, I have not been. I have not done the sauna and the cold at night consistently ever. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, do you, so when you get out of, this is really, I know this is chewable, good, valuable content for the listeners. 
because everybody either listening does it, wants to do it, or is at least very interested in this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you, so I, in the morning after I, I plunge, I don't shower uh, I, I for a while, for like probably, actually until after I train. So I, I let my body kind of come back to temperature. Yeah. And when I, I drop my kids off at school or my wife does, and then I go train, yeah. and then I shower. Yeah. So how does – like I know that one of the great assets to cold exposure is allowing your body to sort of like come back to temperature. Exactly. As opposed to getting right into like a hot sauna and finishing in the heat or a hot shower. Yeah. How do you handle that at night? Always finish on the cold. And then you And then you wait – Top like a certain amount of time, and then get in the shower, or I don't shower, or you don't shower. <laughs> there you go. Right, right. Or the cold plunge is my shower. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, depending on the on the status of the water, actually. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and and I love what you said there because the one of the 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 real take home with cold plunge that people need to hear is that that's where you get the benefit. It's it's that period of letting your body warm itself back up to room temperature. That's where we get that brown fat activation, the good fat that we like to have that makes us you know we maybe shiver a little bit. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we build up our mitochondrial density through doing that. So mitochondria, as you probably know, are the powerhouses of the cells and associated with not only improved athletic performance, but improved health span and lifespan, mm. the more mitochondria you have per cell. So it's in that period where your body is warming itself back up that you induce what we call mitochondrial biogenesis. So you start driving up the creation of mitochondria at the cellular level. You know, I think it's important to also say that everybody correlates cold plunge to this like savage badass you know do hard things kind of yeah. vibe and i think yes there's that for sure right like mm-hmm. it's not easy to sit in freezing cold water for 4 or 5 minutes right yeah. it's just not like you have to you have to have the conviction to want to get through it because that first 90 seconds for me it's pain it's pain yeah. it's pain and and now I've actually I've taken my hands out of the water, so I I keep my hands out of the water because I also have um, Raynaud's Raynaud's, mm-hmm. and so my hands will go blue. Yeah, um, and I I was like I'm I'm keeping my hands in the water even though they turn blue, and then finally I was like you know what I'm not putting my hands on I'm gonna put my hands right out of the water and it's been a totally different experience. Yeah, um, because for the like they would literally feel like they're gonna like like pop off my body. Yeah. You know, like you could break them off when you get out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but the weird thing about it is that, and it always happens at the fifth, at my 15th breath. So I do 30 long, deep, slow breaths. My hands are in the water at the 15th breath. I'm dealing with excruciating pain in my fingers and in my toes. And at the 15th breath, it just goes away. Goes away. Yeah. And so that's got to be like some sort of – it reminds me of like lactic acid mm. in my quads after like hardcore echo assault bike, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or like, you know, something like that where the lactic acid is just like mm-hmm. intense mm-hmm. You know, where it's so mm-hmm. like tough. And if you, if you stop for more than 10 seconds, you know, you got to stop for 10 minutes, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But so I don't do that anymore. But but I but I think <laughs> I think uh, I think for me it is truly about creating adversity in yes. life. Yes. Where adversity that we were born to that we were created to be able to withstand mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily exist anymore. Right? Like 
humans were not created to take a shower in hot water every day right like exactly there was no hot water when we were created right it was like everything was cold it was just all fucking cold yeah (laughs) you know and so i i think that you know not like you know I'm, i'm i'm not trying to be the liver king here eating raw liver but i do think that creating adversity intentionally so that you can essentially develop thicker skin for when things get hard. You know, a lo- I also think that a lot of, there's a lot of conversation about like humans just getting soft. We're right? so soft. <laughs> yeah, have you read The Comfort Crisis? Oh yeah, ever, I yeah. love that book. Yeah, great book, great it's book. such a good book. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are. Yeah, yeah. And I love you used the term that I was gonna throw out there if you hadn't, but adversity. I'm going to steal it from uh, David Sinclair, the guy who wrote uh, Lifespan, the Harvard Genetics Lab um, professor, and he, he uses the term adversity mimetics, and that's what we're missing. So you need to have something in your life that is mimicking the adversity that our genes have evolved for 120,000 years to tolerate. and to, to We're working against our genes, basically, with the standard American lifestyle every day. Um, I, you know, when I think about diet, I think about, you know, we didn't have canned processed, we didn't have calories all around us until like a hundred years ago, you know, it was after World War I when we started doing all this stuff so we could ship food to troops, um, that we all of a sudden started building up this caloric excess. It's good to fast every now and then. So we talked about intermittent fasting. That's not for everyone, but, but doing a 24 hour fast once a month, doing a couple days, you know, a couple times a year or quarterly, that's great. Is I that, mean, is that... Oh, highly recommend it. Hundred percent. Yeah, I try and fast once a month for twenty-four did a, hours. Yeah, did a three-day fast. Um, it's about a month ago now. Um, so yeah, trying to incorporate those kind of adversity mimetics, a la sauna, cold plunge, going up to these thresholds of of being uncomfortable, and then just kind of crossing right over and coming back. That's what our bodies want to do. That's what we've been genetically evolving to do for a long time. Hmm. What have you learned from seeing so many snapshots of people's genes? Like, yeah. what, like what, what, what are some of the big takeaways that you've seen that, that, are, that are consistent? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. I, I almost think about it. I've, I've, I have enough patients now of, of different diverse ethnic backgrounds that I've noticed a couple things. And one is that... I feel like the genes I see in people from of Northern European descent, a lot of us typically have this combination of these two genes. Um, one's called the IRS one, the other APOA5. And they both have to do with, with actually fat ingestion as opposed to carbs, which seems a little bit off because they're both risk factors for developing insulin resistance. Um, and I feel like that's a commonality that I see frequently with people with, um, with Northern European genetics. I see a lot of people um, that it, we've referenced this already, but that need a lot more recovery than they're getting. You know, we have a lot of high performers that come in to just, you know, optimize even more with us. And they're doing, you know, who knows, I've got a, a couple guys that are, you know, exercising 16 plus hours a week in different modalities. And I'm like, man, yeah, this is like, you've got to back off. There's, there's, there's a lot of benefit. And it is just like you said, the work is done when we sleep, when we recover. But you actually, you know, you can infer damage from that. You can definitely activate, overactivate that stress response, that, that HPA access where eventually you just, after having high cortisol for so long, you kind of 
bottom out, you burn out. Um, so that's a lot of what people miss, I think, when they're not paying attention to recovery, because that is a commonality. I see very few people who are in this fast recovery camp that says, yeah, you should be exercising six days a week and then doing something on the seventh day that's kind of, you know, light recovery. Um, for the majority of us, you know, four to five days a week of some really planned, you know, fairly intense activity, whatever level we're at, with a couple of rest days. Is, right. is and so right when recipe. you say rest days, you mean literally, obviously, you're going to go out for a walk, that's fine. But like, nothing that's getting your heart rate north of 125 BPMs, basically. Depending on age, yeah, we, we look at max heart rate based on age. But yeah, exactly. Looking at staying under that 70% of your max heart rate on a recovery day, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I identify so much with that, because mm-hmm. I've, I have this hunger mm-hmm. <laughs> to compete. Yeah. In everything I do. And it's not that I'm um, – I mean I'm a competitive person, but I'm not a malicious competitive person. Really the person that I'm, I tend to compete most against is myself. Yeah. So that's, that's – I'm not like looking to like outperform those people. Although when there's somebody much better than me, mm-hmm. it's great for me as a competitor because I am chasing that person. Yeah. You know, that, that has been something that I found to be very, very um, important in my life, right? Mm-hmm. So always find – even hiring as the founder or CEO of a company, I'm always trying to hire the person that's smarter than me. Yeah. So that I can – Love that. You know, not only learn from – but also, like, there's an equal level of respect, no matter yeah. what, right? Yeah. Um, always, I'm always looking to chase. But what I've what I've been dealing with recently is injury, man. Mm-hmm. Injury, you know, injury. And I was I was forced to really have to think about what I was doing because in early June, I. Actually, in late May, I was in L.A. It was like the day after I got there. My body was probably not, not, not in, the, in the greatest condition based on jet lag and travel and just like, you know, acclimating. And I went to the gym and I had like a five-piece, you know, workout. And one of the pieces was, was uh, 15 toe to bar. It was like 15, 20 10 or something like that. It was 15 total bar, 20 box jump, uh, burpee box jumps, jump overs, and 10 deadlifts. And, mm. Um, mm. and it was, it That's was blowing up your core. It blew up my core, dude. <laughs> it blew up my core. And I, blew, oh my and, God. and I blew up my lower back and yeah. I, I went, I, I was listening too heavy too fast. And mm-hmm. I just like, I blew it up. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, sorry, it was 15, 10, 5. That's what it was. Yeah. And, I, and my back went poof on those deads. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. I felt it go, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just like, all right, man, that is just a sign. I just got, let me just chill. Let mm-hmm. me just chill. I took like three or four days off, flew back to New York, went to CrossFit in, in um, where I live now in upstate New York. And I said, I'm just going to work on, I'm just going to work on shoulder to overhead. That's what I'm going to work on. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go in and do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to work on my shoulders to overhead. And sure enough, boom, tweaked my right trap. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, God is telling me something here. Yeah. Like God is telling me to, to chill. Yeah. But I still didn't listen. Yeah. I took a couple of days off. And then I said, all right, for the next week, I'm just going to get on the Concept 2 bike and just bike for 45 minutes. 
and I found myself biking like, you know, too hard. Yeah. And I woke up two days after doing that and I had sciatica that was so excruciating mm. that just annihilated me. Mm-hmm. And I was out mm-hmm. for two months. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 was, it was obviously very, very painful and really unfortunate and not fun, mm-hmm. but also like needed. I yeah. needed to go through it. I yeah. needed to feel it Yeah, because I needed to be smacked in the mouth and, and, and said, hey, dude, you may not think so. Yeah. And I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, but you are not 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so now I've, I'm, I'm like a go-wad nut, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm, on, the, I'm on the app. I'm doing, yeah. I, I do the daily. I do the pre-wad. I do the post-wad. And I really Are you loving that? I love it. Yeah. I just got, I need to activate mine. I've done that before, but I got a, a free year membership at the last, at the games. And I'm, I'm psyched about getting that going again. I just, you know, I think for, for everybody listening, and I'm sure it's music to your ears. You said it a couple of times on the podcast. We all think we need more. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, chances are, chances are if I gave myself four days of really focused 80 to 100% at different times in the workout. Mm-hmm. Four days a week, I'd probably be in, I'd probably be better off than, yeah. than five or six. Yeah, yeah. And I love, you know, to bring it all the way back to what we opened with, the, the coaching is what has really done that for me. We are all our worst coach, right? And, and I have the same problem. I would not be able to take it easy on that Concept 2 bike or the rower. Be like, okay, well, if this is all I'm doing, I got to go hard. Um, it's so nice to have someone who you're checking in with regularly and who's telling you, today I want you to do these three movements, but I want you to do them at 70%. Like work through this, this Metcon or this, this workout I'm giving you, and I want you to be able to take a nice breath between each exercise, slow transition time, focus on form, get to your next exercise, but don't go hard. I want to finish with this, and I know it's hard, specifically because you guys focus on genes, mm-hmm. and so it, it, you're, 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 you guys are not making generalizations. You're looking yeah. at humans for their actual genetic makeup. Yeah. However, <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm gonna ask the question because I think it's I think it um, if there were three to five things that the listeners of the Creatures of Habit podcast <laughs> can, can start to do and or, uh, um, or, or stop doing that you have seen to be uh, either a huge asset or an absolute um, liability. Give us something to, to walk away with here. Okay. So three things that either don't do or make sure you're doing. Okay. Um, I... This is a li- I'm a little bit biased because I've really incorporated this in my own life, but the science is there. Breath work. Breath work is huge. Breath work is my ninja move to get people to start meditating and working on mindfulness. Because whether you realize it or not, I hear every day, oh, I, I, I suck at meditation. No one sucks at med. We all suck at meditation, right? When we start, it's it's we have the monkey mind. By the way, do. I've been meditating for years, and I still suck. And at you meditation. still suck at right? Suck. I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's a commonality. Don't think that you're just that person who can't meditate. Working on focused breath work gets us in that same meditative state because you're just focusing on counting breaths. You don't have to do it for very long. Great study came out in January of this year in the journal Nature, really prestigious journal. 
showing that five minutes of breath work a day over 30 days, physiologically, people got better. Their HRV went up, um, cortisol levels fell, testosterone levels in males bumped up. So just five minutes for 30 days has that kind of profound effect. Before you leave the breath work thing, can you give us a couple of techniques that you have seen to work for you and also others? Yeah. I'm personally a big fan of box breathing. Um, and we all probably know what that is, the four hold, four exhale, you know, four in, in the box. I extend the exhale to six and do the hold for two. So you do two. a four-second inhale, mm-hmm. four-second hold, six-second exhale, four-second hold? Hold for two and then get back into your four. So oh. you're still doing the same kind of cadence per minute. And if you've been doing it for a while, extend it to five, five, seven three or four, you know, just, just hold the breath a little bit shorter after the exhale. Um, but the, the study I referenced was done on deep sigh breathing. You familiar with that? Mm-mm, tell me about that. So it's, it looks like this. You do one big inhale through your nose, and then a second, and then a long. Oh, yeah, I do that. Eight I, second I, exhale Huberman, through your mouth. I think yeah, yeah, Hugh, Huberman has really made this popular. Exactly. And that is, is probably arguably the most effective way to take a five-minute break in the middle of the afternoon when there's all kinds of chaos going on and, and just reset your, your autonomic nervous system. So. so before we go on to the other ones, I want to just make a mention that I think is super important. And, I've, and I'm, if, you've, if anybody's you know, been following along on my, my content or on this podcast – I've talked about this a lot, and I think mm-hmm. it's important to mention it again. As a person who works mm-hmm. with a family, there's, there's, o- there's always a time where you, I mean, if you're a smart working person um, and, and, and are not, don't, ha- you know, ha- have not, if you have not set any boundaries for yourself and you work 16 hours a day, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone that has been able to figure out a way to set boundaries and, and make it make a family a priority in your life mm-hmm. with business... If you don't separate the energy, the business work energy from family, it tends to just bleed right in, yeah. right? And that energy is very potent and definitely not energy that your kids have any interest in yeah. or your wife or husband or whatever has have any interest in. Yeah. And I got smacked in the face with that about a year ago until – and then it was my son who, who basically – I walked into the house. I was working, still working mm-hmm. on my phone. And my son, I'd walked in, literally, I, you know, it was like a Thursday or whatever. And I walk in. I don't say hi to anybody. I'm in, like, writing in the space. And my son is here, and I'm, I'm paying all my attention to the phone. He's standing right there, and he's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I look at him, and I'm like, buddy, come, like, do you not see what I'm doing? And it was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Like, how could I have just... Like, my son, all he wants in life is my, my attention. Yeah. Like, that's all the kid wants. He doesn't care about anything that's happening here. He just wants my attention. Yeah. And it was, it's so emotional for me to think about that. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine what went through his mind when I did that. Yeah. Right? And I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit here or overdoing it a little bit. But, but it, it, it impacted me so deeply mm-hmm. to know that, like, I just hurt that boy's feelings because I'm too involved in the shit that doesn't actually matter in life. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I, I like caught myself, I, I leaned over and I said, buddy, I am so sorry. I love you, dude. What is it? Yeah. Phone away. Yeah. And so what I, what I started doing from that moment on is when I drive my truck home, I pull up into my driveway and I stop the car about halfway up. I turn it off and I do box breathing and the double inhale, long exhale. 
and I do it for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I close my eyes when I do it, and you know the car's off. There's no music. I'm like kind of listening to the nature. And when I open my eyes, if I don't feel baselined, I close them again. Mm. And I do the exact same thing. Mm. And it's typically 10 rounds of box breathing mm-hmm. and five double inhale long exhales, which yeah. take me about, you know, something like five minutes yeah. or so. Yeah. And um, the energy that I walk in, it is a full-blown oh, it's profound. buffer. Yeah. It changes. You know, I had a woman on the podcast recently. Her name is Dr. Sarah Bren. It was wonderful to have her on. She's a, she was a, a doctor that, that works with um, parents and that are struggling, you know, helping parents be oh, better parents. I listened to that. Yeah. It was great. So she talked about the nervous system. Mm-hmm. She talked about how our infants are the, the what is that part of the brain, the amygdala? The amygdala. Amygdala. Yeah. Is scanning at all times. It's yes. scanning the human. It's scanning. Yeah. And it's looking for it's 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 tapping into the nervous system. It's tapping into not what you say. It's 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 the It's all the nonverbals. It's the nonverbals. Yeah. And what I learned about that experience when I started to put that breath work uh, you know, buffering tra- the transition from work energy to dad husband energy, mm-hmm. that buffer that five minutes of my of my life which is nothing every day yeah five minutes changes my whole entire nervous system yeah and it changes my mental capacity yeah and somehow some way it does something yeah you know it's invaluable um, i think if, i think the breath work thing and and i know that that like what we're talking about is really baseline breath work mm-hmm. i know that breath work has like many many layers oh, yeah. you can get holotropic you can go have wind, you, have you dove deep into that i have yeah it's a it's a trippy experience <laughs> I'm, I'm heard, <laughs> I'm heard. I it's want, great i want it's... so like if, if you had to give us if you if you could point out one one technique of breath work that's a little bit more involved Mm -hmm. um is there one that you like yeah i mean i think uh, for is for if someone's just interested in kind of holotropic and and activating breath work um you know the basic uh wim hof stuff that he teaches with the 30 you know belly breaths forced in and out as fast as you can go exhale hold as long as you can inhale hold for 15 seconds and start over so three rounds of that Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really good starting place. For real holotropic sessions, you want to be going. Um, we, as Wild Health, when we get together at offsites, we always do this as a group. It's, it's really a deeply moving spiritual experience. You're, we're holding hands. We're sitting in a circle. There's always tears. There's always laughter. Um, but we go for more like you know, 20 to 30 minutes, and we, we, um, you, you kind of work through the, the different chakras of the body, starting at the head and moving down. There's, we listen to a prompt that kind of tells us what to envision as you you're going through it. Um, but it is, it's a profound experience and talk about like not needing that cup of coffee after something like that. You're just on a different level. Um, so yeah, that's, is there, is there, is there a place, is there something to find like on YouTube where people can? Yeah. Um, man, I've got a great link. I can share it with you after this, um, that our, uh, one, our CEO, one of our company founders shared with me, um, and I, I can't remember the lady's name right now, but she's a, she uh, teaches this kind of breath work. She's an Indian lady that just has this beautiful voice and walks you through this session. But I can. You should check out. Um, I had a guest on the podcast. Her name is Biet Simkin, and she is a breath work specialist. And she's been a meditation teacher, and uh, you know she's had a crazy story, wildlife, and uh, 
she's developed a style of breath work and she shared it with me and it's very simple it's not super intense it's not like heavy breathing it's mm-hmm. just this like simple style of breath work but it, it, it's kind of it kind of it kind of it, it, it adds a little bit of of, of physicality to mm-hmm. it so like you kind of do this thing with your arms and then you kind of drop your head and then you come back up your arms and then you drop your head and then you take a deep inhale in look up and and your neck has to be straight and you kind of go up on your on your you kneel high and you hold your breath there and you push your stomach out like you're pregnant um, i love it yeah i yeah. did it for the first few times and it, nothing happened and i i was like this is bullshit and i called her and i was like viet what, what's going on is this real like i you know because she was telling me that it's like a totally outer body experience mm-hmm. i was like i didn't have any outer body experience she was she was telling me like you got to get padding around like you could faint and mm-hmm. and um and she said listen you know you're probably doing it in at the wrong time maybe you're doing maybe there's a there's some stress going on like mm-hmm. you know why don't you try it towards the end of your day and give it another shot mm-hmm. and so i did mm-hmm and I, it was, I couldn't, saying it out loud, it just seems like bullshit when I'm going to say it on the podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that it was, I was, like, felt like I was tripping on uh, mushrooms, like yeah. a severe dose of mushrooms. Yeah. I've, I, I can't, like, I did the whole thing. I got scared because I felt like I was going to a dart, like a deep, crazy place. Yeah. I kind of fell forward. And then in my head, I, I, I was looking up and I was underwater and, and I was looking up at like rip the water rippling with the sun from underneath, coming, from coming underneath. Through. Oh, wow. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Dude, it was yeah. wild. Man. Yeah, it was wild. And then I kind of came out of it and I immediately called her. I was like, holy smokes. Like that yeah. was cr-. She was like, I know. I know, yeah. I know. And yeah. I was like, I thought I was kind of dying, but I, but yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. And she was like. How crazy is that? Yeah. You yeah. know, like you can get there. Yeah. We do it with some of that movement as well in the group session where we're bringing our hands up together. We're holding hands um, a lot. You may have experienced this, but a lot of people, you start losing feeling in your hands. I mm. Like a lot of times my hands are just, I can't feel them anymore. And it says you kind of increase the pace because that's one of the keys with holotropic breath work that I've practiced is you start out with these forced inhales and exhales, but then you speed up as you come to the point where you're going to hold your breath for a little bit and then start the next round. But each of these rounds, rather than just 30 breaths, you know, or five, six, seven minutes, and then, and it seems to be cumulative by the five, last five, six, seven minutes of that sort of, of like the Wim intense, Hof style. That's right, and then, and the pace is picking up, and then it's a hold, and you you let everything go out, and you hold it for a while. How long do you guys hold it for typically? Um, you know, it's uh, for in a group setting, you're not, you know, everybody's got a different capacity, minute so, and a half, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, so around a minute or, or more, but it's it's just kind of that reset button, then you start again, and I find it's cumulative. The last time I was kind of in the same thing. Oh, I'm not feeling this today, and by round three I was like maybe I'm feeling something by round six I was a leopard like I was in the jungle I was like you know I was having that full-on like oh my god what's happening you know (laughs) and I noticed there's tears coming out I was like why am I crying you know it was just it was all there and it's it's you just were trying to describe it that's kind of the definition of like a a psychedelic or out-of-body experience right it's ineffable we can't put words to it so it's like that yeah, and I, I agree. It's it's an amazing uh, modality to get you to that same place. In the beginning of the pandemic, my very good friend, John John Stein, who's also been on the podcast, wonderful human, um, he and I 
you know, nobody knew, no, like everything was new, right? Like yeah. you're stuck inside. Yeah. You re- you've never experienced life like this before. Everybody yeah. thinks it's doomsday. You know, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do with the fear? Yeah. Like that's the big question. Like what yeah. do we do with the fear? And so Jonathan and I decided that we were going to get into Wim Hof breath work. And so every morning at 9.30, we did Wim Hof. And we would do, we started with three rounds of 20 breaths. Then we went to three rounds of 30 breaths. Then we went to four rounds of 30 breaths. We were doing minute and a half hold, you know, minute hold, minute and a half hold, two minute hold, two minute hold, to we got up to four minute holds. Wow. And I got into this place where I, the way I was sort of managing the fear of um, like what it was feeling like to like hold my breath for that long, I would get into this place where I'm lying on the bed. Sometimes I'd have my eyes open. Sometimes I've had, I'd have my eyes closed. But I would kind of fall into the bed. Like that's how I would get through that like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. It was so weird where yeah. I felt like my body was pulsating, like fully pulsating. It was like there was like a fucking techno rave going yeah. on inside yeah. my body. It was just like. In-body bzz, rave. Bzz, yeah, bzz. yeah. And I, every time I'd get to that place where I'd be like, oh, I'm going to let it go, I'd, I would just go. And just sink like into mm-hmm. the bed. It was so crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you and I went off on a tangent with the breath work. I, I I think that's I think it's so cool that there's so many ways to explore. But even that five minutes making an impact. Yeah. All right. What else? Yeah. Well, and this one's a little bit maybe it's not generic. I, 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 you're kind of asking for a generic. You know, here here's the things that can help. I would say we've kind of hit on it, but I I can't remember the last patient that I didn't recommend omega threes to. Um, I feel like, you know, the, the FDA has long stated that, you know, 1.5 grams or 1,500 milligrams of, of omega-3s is, you know, where we should live every day. That's not true for optimization. That's kind of, they make their recommendations based on a let's keep you alive, resource limited setting. Um, a lot of the recent literature is pointed to north of 3,000 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA combined, the really potent ones that we use as mammals. So sardines, great choice, you know, 1.8 to 2 grams a day um, that you're going to get in that or a salmon filet or a couple pieces of smoked salmon. But I can kind of make that recommendation outside of any one specific genes. There's almost always a reason for them. Neuroprotection, you know, better firing of those neuromuscular junctions, recovery, my elite CrossFitters and some of the NFL guys that we work with, they're taking like north of six or eight grams a day. So they're just taking loads of fish oil and eating really high. So six um, to eight grams a day would work out to how many milligrams? Um, that's 6,800 milligrams a day, 8,000 milligrams a day. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, you, so they're on the super EPA? Yeah. And like a can of sardines or yeah. more than that. So if you eat, if you have two of those super EPAs, and we're just using that because yeah, obviously yeah, you take sure. the same one, um, you have two of those capsules and a can of sardines, you're going to be over three grams or 3,000 milligrams. Um, on days like right now when I'm traveling, you know, it's my insurance policy. I, I take two in the morning, two at night because, as you know, it's just a really potent form um, made in a non-oxidized state, so really well done. Um, and and that, just for anybody listening, those super EPA omega-3s are from a company called Thorn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty safely universal piece of advice to give most people. And then something we see a ton of, I, again, I see very few people unless they're already supplementing with, um, with adequate vitamin D levels. So kind of I have this kind of universal supplements thing I think of that I advise for just about everybody unless there's really a contraindication. So check with your healthcare provider before adding these. I have to give that little caveat. But, um, you know, I think of creatine being one. I think of vitamin D being one. And I think of omega-3s being a third. 
that are just about good for everybody. The the creatine science, you're probably aware of this, but it's so interesting because, you know, it's the We've known for 50, it's most studied sports supplement of all time. So for hypertrophy, for strength gains, for basically return to activity. You know, half the guys in the Tour de France were using creatine this last year just because it's just so good to get back in the saddle the next day. Um, so there's those benefits, but, but, you know, thinking about some of this new literature we're seeing around, um, cognitive benefit. So, de- you know, decreasing the cognitive decline in patients with Alzheimer's, keeping you mentally sharp. It's, it's a really good methylator. So it helps us to methylate better, which is very important for brain and, and liver and vascular function. Mm. Um, and creatine's for everyone. It's not just for bro- bros. That's right. Um, and dose typically is going to be five grams Five grams. We my baseline advice is low and consistent. Don't even worry about the timing. Just get it in every day. A um, lot of science says that you can't absorb more than about three grams at a time. So if you're really getting granular with it, doing like two point five um, grams in the morning, two point five at night to get to that five gram total. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. is there ever an oper- is there ever a reason to take more than five grams? Yeah, I mean it's sports specific. You know, yeah, sure. If you're, you know, again, thinking about that dosing and not being able to absorb a ton, um, doing, you know, small, frequent, just five gram scoops throughout the day. If you're really working on muscle gain or hypertrophy, bodybuilding. You know, I, and this yeah. is, this is a, a, a shameless plug, but I actually love, I really love this stuff. So there's a new creatine gummy company called Create. Have oh, you heard wow. of these guys? No, uh-uh. no. So they make, um, they make these gummies that taste really good. It comes in a bag of 75, and each gummy has 1.5 grams of creatine. Hmm. So it, I think, for me, it, it's made my creatine consumption so easy, right? Because yeah. originally the formula had just one gram of creatine per gummy, and so I would just eat five grams, five gummies mid-workout because they also have some carbohydrates in sure. there. So it's like a little bit of sugar, a little bit of carbohydrates. For me, it's perfect for mid-workout little pump of energy. Um, but I love the fact that you just broke that down, that the body can't actually metabolize more than three grams at a time. So if you wanted to take two servings, mm-hmm. you know, you can break it down that way based on the amount of, the amount of grams per gummy. I think that's a pretty yeah. cool thing that Create did. Um, I like, I, you know, creatine has never been like a, a fun, <laughs> fun, thing to include in my life right it's kind of messy you know and you've got to have the you know like i always travel with a with a tub of creatine right yeah always travel with a tub of creatine with me because you know i I take creatine every day now i just i got the gummies which i think is fun yeah yeah i'm gonna have to check that out yeah that does sound a lot better yeah um and then lastly and to finish three things that people should think about potentially refraining from um, this is low hanging fruit and it's, you know, it's everywhere out in the, in the, in the media, mainstream media, but I, I feel like we still ignore it. I mean, get off your screen. You know, that is, it's, I, I think there is such a profound impact on sleep just by trying to get away from screens after like 3 PM, even just as early as you can in the day. Um, if it's just impossible and it is for a lot of us, cause we work in these little light boxes all day. Um, you know, making sure you've got a quality pair of blue blockers that you could put on at least at that time to start cutting down on activating, um, that activating blue light that we get. That really does make an impact. You really believe that the screens are just. I do. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I got, I'm traveling here in New York by myself. I found myself bored, you know, Instagram death scrolling last night. It was like, Oh God, I, all of a sudden my eyes were hurting. I tried to get 
tired and it's like shit you know necks hurting eyes are hurting like, what am I doing it's like nine o'clock so you know I think I think really trying to back that up um, even more than we think it we should um, I've gone to you know I finally got some some prescription because um, I have a hard time with you know looking at the TV at, at nine and my wife and I do like to watch a, a series every now and then but just trying to put them on even during something like that um, a couple hours before bed for so sure TV is not nearly as bad with blue light blockers as as the, the phone. Totally. The Proximity. Phone. I mean, we got it right in our face. It's just, yeah. And it's, it's just super stimulating. Super stimulating. So it's like, uh, I mean, those guys <sighs> knew what they were doing. God, I would do anything. I, I honestly, Doc, like I would do anything to eradicate cell phones. I would do anything. Yeah. I really would, man. Yeah. Like if they, if like, it's so, it's such a hard thing to, to, to do away with, right? But like, I feel fortunate at this stage. Social media is such a big part of my sure, life, sure, um, and business. But I, I've, I've, I do not post on social media anymore. Like yeah. I've hired a team of people that I obviously strategize with and mm-hmm. I create the content for. Mm-hmm. But I do not ever post outside of like Instagram stories every now and again. Mm-hmm. I don't post anymore because I just know the impact. Yeah, I, I write my calendar in a in a physical planner mm-hmm. because I just know that anytime I go to pick up my phone to look at what's coming next on my calendar, mm-hmm. I'm going to end up on email, text, Instagram, fit, you know, like it's just going to, and it just, it's so, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, like I went to an entrepreneurial uh, roundtable on Tuesday night. One of my investors invited a bunch of his portfolio company founders to mm-hmm. this dinner. And they sent out a survey pre-dinner to try to get, like, some good topic conversation going. And they said, what's your, you know, and there was a lot of tech entrepreneurs there. <laughs> and the que- one of the questions was, what is your, you know, what is your prediction and or, and or hope for technology in the next 12 to 18 months or something like that? And honestly, for me, my hope is that we find out some piece of literature, some piece of studied like actual studied content that proves that it's killing us. Yeah. That it's actually killing us. I believe it's shortening our lives. I have no doubt. If you equate longevity with time spent in more of that rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system, you are never in that nervous system when you're on your device. And that's kind of, that is a big kind of theme behind, you know, looking at health span and lifespan. Um, yeah, they do not promote the, the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, um yeah. What else? Another one. Um, quick hitter, protein earlier in the day, without a doubt. Earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So stay away from protein later in the day? No, not necessarily oh, that. But eat, make sure you're eating Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Most of us do not front load our day with protein. And my, my goal for just about everyone I see, of course, it's based on body weight, trying to get a, a gram per pound of body weight per day. Um, you know, try and get 50 grams before lunch. Most of us don't even get close to that if you really pay attention to it. Well, anybody listening to this podcast tends to <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, and they get they get at least your, thirty grams. Your disciples day. may not need to hear that. That's right, but it's a you know that's a huge component with basic metabolic health. Protein is a, for all intents and purposes, largely a metabolically neutral molecule, meaning it's not moving us towards insulin resistance, towards cholesterol problems. 
by itself. Amino acids just don't do that. It tends to be what we have with the protein, you know, the sugar content or the fat content that, that can affect us. And that's, that's where we look at genes around that. But in general, eating more protein earlier in the day is going to lead to better satiation, better energy levels, less of that late night, you know, crappy snacking we do. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a really easy theme to go with. Um, and then lastly, man, you know, movement early in the day is key. I think if you get up and you're not focusing, I don't care if you, you know, four o'clock is your workout at the gym. If you're CrossFit, for instance, you always hit the four o'clock class or whatever. Do that, but do something right out of the gate. You got to get up and start moving. Um, you know, again, referencing our ancestors, they didn't get up and lay in on the ground and, you know, put their eye mask down again and be like, I'm going to sleep a little bit long. You know, get up and get active as soon as you get out of bed. One thing that, that, you know, for anybody listening that can give you a little cue for that. For me, every morning, part of my morning routine is, is prayers, push-ups, and poses. I love so it. So I do, I do my prayers in the morning. And then yeah. right I'm, – I'm already down there on the floor. Like right after I hit my prayers, I do 50 push-ups. And then right after I hit 50 push-ups, I do my yoga poses. <laughs> I love it. And, and that's – that – you know, getting the blood flowing, boom, like right away is yeah. so crucial for me. You yeah. Know? I never miss it. I never, ever miss it. Yeah. Yeah. I Prayers, think that's push-ups, key. and poses. I'm going to borrow that, man. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Adjust my morning routine a little bit for sure. Um, yeah, man. Dude, this was so awesome. I loved it. So awesome. I loved it. I knew that yeah. we were going to have a good convo. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like being able to give this kind of information from a from a, a tried and true doc, not only, but not a not a not a doctor that is 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 seeing, uh, you know, families uh, in in a community, right? Mm-hmm. A doctor mm-hmm. that is that is literally on the front lines of dealing with elite athletes and looking at uh, a number of things, not only blood work and, and biomarkers um, in 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 the way of blood work, but but really looking at like genetic makeup, yeah. Like that's that's a that's that's a step further, right? It's a different thing. It's the blueprint. Yeah. Um, so I just, it's so awesome to be able to ask you as many questions that I wanted to. And I think I got to all of them. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. had a list in my head. I was like, man, I got to make sure. This is I like got... our medical visit, you know, like a second to follow up. Medi- yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming out for it. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's been an honor. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, people of all ages, I hope you got as much value as I did out of that podcast. Um, this one was a very, very good one. There, uh, You should definitely go check out Wild Health, without a doubt. If you wanna take your health to the next level, go check out Wild Health. It is a different experience. I love a lot of the telehealth companies out there. I work with some, I love them, I love blood work, but really, really, the, the genetic work is, is a, different, it's a different thing. It is going to talk to you uh, you not not a standard or not not a standard of op- optimization. It's going to talk to you specifically based on what's going on um, from the genes that you were given by your parents. <laughs> so very very cool stuff. And uh, you know, please pass this to your friends. Pass this podcast off to someone who you think would appreciate it. It would mean the world. That is the number one ask I have of you. Share the podcast with as many people as you possibly can. And the number two ask I have for you. You know, I ask it every single week. Do me a favor, take a couple of minutes out of your day. It would mean the world if you wrote a review and gave us a five-star rating. It is actually how the podcast grows. It is actually how we 
pump bump up in the algorithm and, and get more people to see uh, the content that I do uh, just to create value in other people's lives. I really, really do this because um, I enjoy it. I love it. I love meeting people like, like Dr. Graham, but I also love bringing value into your life. So it would mean the world if you took the time to do that because that is actually how this thing stays afloat. And there you have it, folks. I hope we delivered some valuable content for you to implement into your life on a daily basis. Please remember that our habits have the power to make us or break us. Replacing bad habits with great ones is the answer to living a life of happiness, optimism, and high performance. We are capable of achieving anything. We all have what it takes to give it all we've got. Commit to one great habit each day and truly commit and watch how everything in your life starts evolving from good to great. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and a nice review that will help us grow this podcast, bring on more amazing guests, and continue to deliver invaluable content on a weekly basis. Lastly, please share this podcast with any friends or family that you think might appreciate it. And always remember, want plus do equals have. Until the next one, fam. Peace.